Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, help us be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you thought that the gospel lesson sounded a little strange, sounded more like it was supposed to be Monday, Thursday instead of Thanksgiving, here's the connection. What is it that God has given to you that allows you to be thankful in all circumstances? And the answer is forgiveness of sins, a new covenant, a new relationship with Him. How did that happen? Through Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. And so every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, He says, your sins are emptied, the promises and righteousness of God are bestowed, and you are new. So when was the last time you threw yourself a pity party? I mean, a really, really good pity party with all the bells and whistles and maybe like a gallon of Cherry Garcia ice cream. The Israelites had been in Egypt since Joseph had saved the country from famine, buried his father, made up with his brothers. It didn't take long for the Israelites to be seen as a threat, and their favored status was revoked, and they were put to work building monuments for the Pharaoh so that he could say, look how great I am. They complained and complained and complained, and they finally got around to praying to God, somebody that, to be honest, they had kind of forgotten about. Well, God sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt, and he says, I'm going to let you go to the promised land. A bunch of plagues, an angry Pharaoh, a quick meal of lamb and unleavened bread, running through the desert with their cloaks tucked between their legs, uh, being chased by Pharaoh's chariots and soldiers, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground, making God angry because they were whiny, and I mean really whiny, and then God put them on time out for 40 years and getting really thirsty because, well, running through the desert will do that to you. That's pretty much a summary of the first 15 chapters of the book of Exodus. When we get to chapter 16, God has satisfied their thirst by sweetening the bitter water at Marah. Now they're camped out next to a place where it says there are 70 date palms and 12 springs of water. As they drink their fill of water, their stomachs growl, and they realize they're hungry. Groupthink goes wild, and the next thing you know, they're yelling at Moses and Aaron. Really, they're yelling at God, because since they can't see him, they're just going to take it out on Moses and Aaron. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us out into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Something to notice. Groupthink has the ability to turn that frown upside down and help you see the good things or get you to ignore the good things and really, really emphasize the bad things. See, I love this verse. It's so human. We were slaves. We were beaten. A lot of us died. Our children were stolen from us. We had no freedom. We had no hope, but we had pots of meat and bread. Oh, life was good. Do you see the irony? So back to our pity parties. When we've got a pity party on, there's nothing worse than somebody walking in and pointing out all the good things in our life. We don't want to think about the good things. We just want to complain about all the bad things, all the things that we think we deserve that we don't have. You know, God might be angry with them, and let's face it, they deserve it. He may have put them on time out for 40 years, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love them. It doesn't mean he's not listening to them. You see, this is one of the most important theological concepts you will ever, ever hear. God loves you. He's listening to you. Even when you mess up, even when you're complaining, even when you're throwing a pity party 
and whining. So God hears they're complaining and rains manna down on the ground every morning. Now, manna is like snow, except it doesn't melt right away, allowing the people to gather it up and take it back and, and eat it. First time they see the manna, they ask a very profound question. What is it? Those of you who earned your merit badge in pity parties know that you can pronounce these three words a dozen, a dozen different ways, signifying whether you're amazed, annoyed, concerned, afraid, or hopeful. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? In other words, those words might have meant different things to the different people that were saying it. When you get to the end of the map and enter uncharted territory, there is a mix of wonder and awe that's tempered by fear and worry. There is something to the saying, you know, yesterday was the only easy day. You see, yesterday is known. Oh, it may have been mad. It may have been the worst. Um, it, but you survived. And so now it's a place of comfort because you look back and you go, I know I can handle that now. The Israelites are free for the first time in generations. They may have dreamed and talked and planned for this moment, but now it's here and they're not exactly sure what to do with it. Hence the nostalgia for their full bellies, even though they were slaves. You see, they are not the same nation that entered Egypt all those years ago. There have been shifts in culture, language, thought processes. It's turned them into a very different nation. What are your expectations for tomorrow? Have you started to think about the new year already? What are you hoping to leave behind? What are you hoping to gather to yourself? If you haven't thrown a pity party lately, did you at least have a revenge dessert or, or leave work a few minutes early or sleep in a little later as a silent protest? In our most irrational moments, who do we blame for all the stuff that's going wrong in our life? In our most rational moments, who do we know is truly responsible? And do we ever have moments where we stop and think about how we might fix things? Well, we often talk about the manna from heaven as a miracle. To be bluntly honest, not a miracle. No, it fed their stomachs. It slowed their complaints. But the real miracle was something far more important, whether they saw it and understood it or not. You see, God shows the Israelites they are not traveling alone through the unknowns and the wilderness. That's the miracle. That God is with them even in the midst of their complaining and whining. See, we all have our Christmas wish list. It might be stuff. Maybe it's somebody that we haven't seen for a while coming home for Christmas. It might be a respite from an illness. It could be a peace that allows us to sleep through the night for a change. We all have our wildernesses, some of our own making, some that we got led into. St. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, You know, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Years ago when I read that passage, my immediately, um, my sarcastic reaction was, you know, yeah, but I prefer to have a lot. In other words, I'm not complaining, but if I'm given a choice, I'd rather have a lot. It's like that old joke, you know, they say money can't solve all my problems, but I'd sure like to try. When I study the verse more, though, I find the real key is when Paul says, I have learned. How do you learn something? See, for most of us who are a little thick-headed, 
It takes more than reading a book or having somebody tell us something. When we're going through various wildernesses, they aren't nearly as scary the second, the third, the fourth, or the 100th time. Once we learn the secrets, it's no longer a wilderness. And wildernesses are also not nearly as scary when we have someone we love or, or someone we trust guiding us. A few weeks ago, I was with my son in Africa. We went on several safaris. The, the first one was a private game reserve, actually fairly small. And the closest the guide got us to the lions and the cheetahs and the rhinos was several hundred feet. Uh, and he left the engine running. He left the Jeep in gear, and he kept a wary eye on all the animals. Uh, the only thing that was running through my mind was the Jungle River cruise, as the boat captain says, look at the lions protecting the sleeping zebra. And I pictured myself as the zebra. That's how they say it, the zebra. In Botswana, though, we went into the Chobe Desert. Micah scheduled us on an all-day safari in an open-top land cruiser. Yeah, we left at 7 in the morning. We didn't get back till 6 at night. Now, I should mention, the driver, he was in a metal cab. We were wide open. Then our driver... We got into the preserve, and we saw lots of elephants, and I mean lots. We, we went down along the, the river, and there they were, the Chobe River. I mean, there were elephants everywhere, and there were springboks and kudus, and there were all these, just, I mean, as far as you could see. It was absolutely amazing. And then he got really excited, and he drove us over, and he parked us just 10 feet from a pride of lions, mama, daddy, and a couple of cubs. They were sleeping, but as we pulled up, they opened one eye and looked warily at us. The driver shut off the engine, and we just sat there. The lady in front of me shifted over a seat. The man behind me, he shifted over a seat. I couldn't move over because there was somebody sitting next to me. Finally, somebody turned and said, is this safe? And the driver said, I do this all the time. Besides, if they were going to attack, they are so fast, I wouldn't have time to get the engine started and get us out of here. Oh, that made me feel really safe. By the end of the day, though, we had gotten to within 10 feet of lions, cheetahs, and elephants, 50 feet from hippos and rhinos. I was no longer as afraid. Oh, I still felt a little bit uneasy when the lions opened one eye to decide if it would be worth it to pursue me as a snack or maybe a main course. I am fairly large. It was not just that we kept spotting the animals over and over again. It was also that the guide continued to provide expert narration. And he remained calm. He, he told us all the secrets about all the animals and when they ate and when they slept and how they did this and how they did that. And see, I realized that he had grown up there. This was his backyard. And he was there literally every day and he was still alive. And, and that's how I began to relax a little bit. What is it, the Israelites asked. And Moses said, well, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. I know you ordered steak, medium well, with butter, but today you're going to get manna. Moses knew even if God, by the way, had sent them a steak, medium well, and with butter, they would complain that they didn't have a mashed potato or broccoli or a brownie. It's that whole, if you give a moose a muffin, if you give a mouse a cookie thing. You see, we are a forgetful people. We are a simple people. We're also a complaining people. It's not so much what the Israelites can teach us. That's not what this lesson is really all about. It's rather what God can teach us about ourselves and about our expectations as we walk through both the known and the unknown wildernesses in this world. I know the world is different. 
I know that we are different. And it's not just the pandemic. You see, life changes, and, and so do we. we. We go through all the different seasons. We're challenged as a community of faith, not only to see and complain about all the problems and challenges we face, but also to see the sweet water and the manna that God has provided and say, thank you. The water and the manna are not God's answer to our complaints. They're just what we need so that we can have the strength and courage to step forward into an ever-changing world. The Bible says, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone that he can devour. Satan is doing more than just opening one eye and sizing us up. His whole purpose is to steal us away from Jesus. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter how he does it. He might get us to complaining that God forgot the tartar sauce for our fish when he multiplied fish and loaves, or the fact that it's just too hot outside, or maybe if we're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's too hot inside the furnace, or the preacher is long-winded, or about a million other things. St. Peter went on to write, Resist Satan and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by all of your fellow believers throughout the entire world. Now, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, he is going to personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little. This is where we realize that our life is this big and eternity is, well, further than we can see, and we suddenly get a little bit of perspective. So the safari was almost over. The sun was setting. And the guide said, we're going to stay out here a little bit longer. There was a young springbok that was limping, and there was a cheetah that was following him, sneaking through the bushes. The guide was sure that if we stuck around for a few more minutes, we were going to get to see one of those Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom moments. I was rooting for the baby springbok, even knowing how it was most likely going to end. What the cheetah didn't count on, though, was the herd staying close to the limping springbok, surrounding it and keeping it safe, so that no matter where the cheetah went, he had to go through all the springboks first, and they were protecting that little one. I silently cheered. Then the cheetah noticed another springbok, one that had wandered far away from the herd. The cheetah gave up on the limping baby springbok, and he set his sights on this springbok that had gone way over there all by itself. The cheetah began slinking through the brush. And even though their top speeds are about evenly matched, the cheetah can accelerate a lot faster. And so in just a moment, it was all over. I thought to myself, poor springbok. But then I realized he should have known better than to go off by himself. He was probably having a pity party because someone was eating his grass, or they didn't notice his new hairstyle, or maybe it was just too hot that day and he was just having a little pity party to himself. You know, with everything happening in your life and in this world, I'm going to encourage you to not forget to pray. Don't ever stop praying. But also look around for the manna and the sweet water. You know, it's everywhere, and I know we're going to say, what is it? And that's just it. We need to look around and see what it is that God has provided us. See, it's not God's answer. It's just what we need to stay near Him in the community of faith so we can step back and figure out how to navigate a life in a world that is not always what we expected, not always what we want, and not always what we're prepared for. And don't forget to say thank you, especially to God. 
but also those in the community that occasionally surround you when you're weak and the devil is out there prowling around and it's got his, set, his sight set on you and somebody sets themselves around you to protect you. Don't, don't forget to say, I just want to say thank you to you because you were there when I was most vulnerable and you protected me. See, it only takes one person to turn a frown upside down to get others to notice. It may not be a medium well steak with butter sauce, but it really is better than starving, and who knows? With a little creativity, this manna, this manna, it, you could turn it into manicotti, you know, or maybe manna waffles, or maybe banana bread. There is something to be thankful for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.